listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 26, Episode 17 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Chris. I am Gina. Bandwidth. Bandwidth issues. And we sound awesome, right? Yes, we sound awesome. Yeah. <laughs> in this episode of Happy Checks RPG Podcast, Andrew writes in about making disease scary without ruining a game. Gee, I wonder what he's talking about. Weasel Creature writes in about virtual gaming, and Uncommon Man writes in about secrets, agendas, and PvP. And they say the sound is coming that in. Before. Okay. Yes, we have. That yeah, it's one of those ongoing things that happens all of the time. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum. Did you know we have a forum? Happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. And we have social meteors. We have many. Four, five, three, five, four. Uh, Happy Jacks oh, RPG. All, three, five, three. Five, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, and MeWe. And if you'd like to watch the show live, you can watch the show live at 7.22 p.m. Pacific Time, <laughs> maybe a little earlier next week, uh, at happyjacks. Yeah, at happyjacks.org slash live. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with this. First off, I yep. walk in here, I'm like, okay, ready to go. My microphone's not working. I'm like, why is my microphone not working? I first think, I, of course, always suspect the computer first. So I go into the computer. I'm like, I'll check all the settings. Oh, everything's right. Fuck, maybe it's my interface. So I go and unplug the interface. I plug it back in. Of course, that resets all of the settings and all of the software on the computer, which I did not remember. And then I realize, <laughs> oh, I didn't turn phantom power on. So I turn the phantom power on. My mic's working fine. And then I have to go through and redo everything. Then I reboot again. And then it, when it comes back, that's when I rebooted. And the bandwidth suddenly, I had like 40 bits up. Or maybe like, it was like a, it was like a, a 300 baud modem up. It was ridiculous. So it had to reboot everything reference. again and yeah. change it all over again. It was awesome. It was fantastic. You lost me at phantom power. That's on like, that, that's on the soundboard. Phantom power. Certain microphones require twenty four volts of power t- to work, and that it's not at all related to phantom limb or phantom menace or phantom toll booth. I wish they had had the mics muted on that one too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> can I just can I just say that I miss you folks? <laughs> you know, I just I miss you so much. If you keep missing us, you need to aim higher. <laughs> I, I just I watched all nine episodes of Star Wars. <laughs> why, why would you do that to yourself? It's like, to, as bad as reading the Silmarillion. I wanted to see. Actually, I watched ten episodes because I watched Rogue One, which takes place between three and four, and it's, yeah. the, in my opinion, the best film. And yeah. it makes Episode Four so much better mm. when you get to see the sacrifice. That leads to the Death Star plans being in the hands of the Rebellion. It was awesome. It just it just made the movie have more gravity to it. I think uh, I still couldn't stand Episode One. Episode Two had some moments in it. Episode Three had some moments in it. But yeah, I'm not uh, sure I'll I go just, back. I just finished sure. watching the the new Clone Wars episode season season seven where they wasn't that good. It's really oh, good. It so I mean, good. especially if you like Ahsoka Tano because it's really her. They kind of and oh. She's my favorite. She's my favorite. The ball. Our family has been watching the entire series of ER from the beginning. We've done this before. 
and we're on season two. Great! It's some of the best television ever recorded. I mean, it is amazing television. So I, if you I want, I got on a Jag like, years ago, and I was like, you know, Linda Carlini's in it. She's amazing. And then at one point, Cindy yeah. shows up, and she's amazing. And, and each season is like twenty-five episodes, so you ne- the well never goes dry. Right. And oh it's, yeah. It's some of the some of, some of these actors at the top of their game oh, that yeah. are in it. You know. Some made guest appearances, and a guest appearance on ER was like uh, six or seven episodes long. You know, um, yeah. So Lucy Liu was on last night's that we watched, and the new season. I I, I mentioned this earlier. I passed by a bus on my way home from work, <laughs> and there's an advertisement for the season two of what we do in the shadows. Yep. And I watched the first episode, uh, the whole thing. And right from the very beginning, Guillermo, did you make a messy toilet again? It <laughs> freaking killed me. <laughs> I love that show so much. All right. Uh, it seems like it's been more than a year since the first one came out. It's like... It, it, it seems while, like a long it's time. It's cause it, the better it is, the longer it seems between seasons, it, I think. And with TT is busy, I guess, too, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, first email. Would, uh, would someone like to read the first email? There's only three, so I don't have to read unless someone doesn't want to read. Oh, sure. I can read it. Okay. It's no problem. The, I think I got it right. Oops. The, wrong, wrong window. The editor's note is meant to be read, but if you want, I can just explain that. Let me just, just, ex- explain. I'll just explain that. Okay. Uh, this, this email is from Andrew, and it's about making diseases scary without ruining the game. And it sp- talks specifically about COVID-19, or... Cove, SARS-CoV-2 or whatever the the, the the virus is called. Corona. And it's actually called it's called SARS-CoV-2. It is the second SARS uh, coronavirus. Because SARS stands for severe something, severe acute respiratory, respiratory syndrome or something like syndrome, that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but he sent this email on February 9th. When a lot of us probably didn't, hadn't even heard of it, and those of us that had were going, wow, China just locked down their government. That must have been serious. I'm glad that's not happening here. <laughs> yeah, that was the week we went to Disneyland. Right. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. So I don't think, I don't judge, because I mean, some people, for very good reasons, get a little touchy when you talk about real-life crises and real-life tragedies intermixed into role-playing games right so i so i, I and, and i kind of want to talk about f- kind of frame that as much as what his specific questions are because mm-hmm. uh, clearly when he wrote this none of us knew how bad this was going to get you know what i mean I, and i and, and so I, I don't want people to like rail against him because he's he's being callous because at this point at february 9th mm, can't really judge him for that. It, so, it was a legitimate question at the time, and now exactly. it's viewed in bad taste, and it really isn't meant to be that at all. This it, was just—it still is a legitimate conversation about how you handle something like this in a role-playing game. So, with that in mind, here is said letter. There you go. A uh, good evening, happiest of jackers. <laughs> I want to start off by saying thank you to Kimmy and Stu's advice for my L5R court game. It helped to make the first session run in a memorable experience, and my players are chomping at the bit for more. But on to more pressing matters. Do you know what advice you gave him? This is from... I don't know who it's from. Oh, from Andrew. Is it chomping at the bit or champing at the bit? He has it with an O. <laughs> it's chomping. I will be... <laughs> I will be... <laughs> um, 
I don't remember, but I'm sure it was Sage. It was awesome. It was really good advice. It was the best. I will be filling in for a friend who can't run his normal game in two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, I've decided to do a one-shot of Demigods Fun game. Uh, for that week. So, extra bonus, point, bonus points if Jason is around when you read this. Uh, I came oh, up with maybe that. we should do a Jason impression. I, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, I'd have to study he, him more. He's kind of high. He's, he's kind of uh, But... Uh, I don't know why I'm New York all of a sudden. It's his inflections. That's that. That's going to be a hard one to capture. Yeah, I'd have to listen to it with that in mind. Anyway, yeah, I came up with a topical idea for a one shot. The coronavirus is actually a disease released by the awakening of an old god to inflict gods and demigods to drain their godly power and finish its reawakening to our to world. To infect gods and demigods. I'm sorry, infect gods. Okay. Uh, the players will have to work together to reverse the process, save the world. Yada yada yada. Uh, I plan on players seeing the virus do two things to their fellow demigods. First, and most commonly, just draining of uh, draining off their power until they have nothing left and cease to exist. Also, in rarer cases, the virus will turn the demigod into an abomination, looking to spread the virus for its new evil overlord. Like a like a demigod zombie kind of. Yeah, uh, I want to have player. I want the players to have to deal with this as a group. So, to start off, everything an NPC demigod from their weave will go missing and perish to the virus. This will work great for instilling the threat, but I also want the players themselves to have to deal with the virus themselves. What is a good way to handle disease in a game? What are good ways it can be uh, implemented to make your players afraid of it and feel its effects without removing any player agency or ruining their fun? Thanks again for everything you guys and gals do for the hobby, Andrew. P.S. This is a bit longer than an email, so drink! P.P.S. Shout out to Kimmy and her Decima Kickstarter. I cannot wait to have a copy used with my or to use with my group. And that's already out. It's been Kickstarted. It was it was very well funded, and so it's it's, successful. it's available now. Um, she's she's on target, and everything's there for it. So if, you, if you're interested in Decima, go look it up. And Kimmy, uh, I just pushed your game, so I expect my check in the mail. There you go. Um, so I, I'd kind of like to talk about a his his specific thing, and also uh, in the context of you know to, this being two and a half months later or almost three months later, uh, how you would handle putting something like, something like this, and maybe whether or not you would put something like this in a game mm-hmm. as it's become more and more of a of an issue, as or you know to ma- massively understated. Um, so I'd kind of like to talk about both of those things. First, his specific question, how can you introduce a disease in a game uh, without um, crippling the, the player characters, uh, tr- converting them into god zombies that go around reinfecting everyone else, or you know that sort of thing? Thoughts? I think it's the Hitchcock approach. Um, <clears throat> you don't land the disease all at once. You give them little trail crumbs of the disaster and demise that is coming, and that doesn't even need to be mechanical. I think that you could probably do a lot with just you feel like this. Uh, this is happening. You 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 are con- you, you are conditioned in this way, and over time, maybe there's a small mechanical effect, and just just ease it in because this the specter of the disease is worse than the disease of itself. The disease itself. It's like a you know. A, the, the anticipation of death is worse than death. That's almost like a... You're almost putting like a time limit on them. Like if, if the player, character, player characters have it, 
<clears throat> and they start showing early symptoms, you, they kind of know, uh-oh, if we don't figure out what's going on and figure out a way to solve this, it's, you know, we're, we're, now we're under a time constraint and we're going to turn into those monstrosities. You know what I mean? I was going to say exactly, but you can uh, show that via uh, NPCs who are, are tied in um, to the PCs. So you can kind of forecast or foreshadow the severity or what happens uh, with this disease by showing what happens to people around them. That's um, excellent. Who are farther along yeah. and, and have it way worse, and you are going to have to go through that. That's, yeah. I was also thinking of something like they do uh, in Vampire, which is uh, you have to, everybody has the disease to a certain extent. You sort of have to make saving throws as you go along as it progresses through your system. So it behooves you to work quicker and faster and not lollygag because the longer you take, the more the disease is going to affect you. And maybe it's, at first it just drains your power level so that you become a little less effective. But over time, worse and worse things can happen. And I would even make it sort of like if you crit fail kind of thing, something really bad happens. You know, you start to mutate or you, you know, I don't know. But I think I think there needs to be a mechanical thing on that to help uh, instill a sense of dread in the in the um, in the player characters. Because if they're the only ones that aren't affected and they're you know traipsing through the, the the planet, it's not really that effective. It needs they need to feel. Like it's affecting them, and that they have a, a very limited time to get it right. I think it's an IV drip, though. You know, it's not yeah. a whole bunch at once, and um, it's it's like it's like you know, in, in Temple of Doom, <clears throat> when Indiana Jones is trying to get the antidote. At first, he's fine, but by the end of the scene, he's you know that that happens happens incrementally, even in that very quick scene. That almost right. reminds me a little bit of Taint in L five R. Mm-hmm. What was it? Yeah. Taint, the, that's the disease that you get from the Shadowlands and Legend what was of the it again? Fight. I didn't quite hear you. Oh, it's called Taint. It's a delightfully oh, okay. named disease. <laughs> I, hey, Chris, I thought you just wanted to have him say it again. Cause I did. Every time we say it, it's really hard not to have people giggle. <laughs> but that's exactly what I wanted. Because that, that that's one of the things. I mean, it, it's everyone knows. And you could almost have like a metagame discussion at the beginning of the game because he's weren't running a one shot. Mm-hmm. So you could have the game near when you start getting near the end of the session. You could have player characters fall to it, mm-hmm. like completely near the end. I think, and if it's um, if you you know start the beginning of the game, it says okay here there's a disease going around or you know however you're going to frame that, and here are some of the progressive things that happen as this disease gets worse. So you let them know right up front on a, in a metagame sense. Because when player characters in L5R fight undead creatures, everyone fighting is tense. Because there's always that chance that if you, you're going to get hit, and if you get hit, there's a, there's a, a reasonable chance that you're going to end up getting infected. And of course, in L5R, there is no, there is no cure for it. All you can do is slow it down. You can't or, get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, through, through saving checks, or basically a, a, a resist check every so often whenever you know the game master decides it's a chance to do it. Right, and that, all that does is slow fail it. enough of them, right. right. Yeah, that's the good thing about foreshadowing. Like, if it's moving, like, if, if the disease is somehow moving geographically or, or whatever, however it's impacting the people who are the wave before your... PCs are is that you can demonstrate some of those things without having to do all the tells. Um, so you can withhold some of it. 
um, so that as these things happen, um, they're like you're saying, Stu, they're aware of what consequences are or can be. Um, the only thing that I would watch out for, not the only thing, I guess, but one of the things is not super gaslighting your players. So not um, letting them believe, you know, it's hard because I mean, there are failed dice rolls, but there's also giving too much misinformation so that they are, you know, totally fictionally gaslit. So you don't really want to do that, but you want to be able to short foreshadow um, somewhat accurately, but also take into account that there's a dice mechanic involved, if that makes sense. Right. <clears throat> I think you could take a clue. I don't know if there's a good zombie apocalypse game out there, but I'm sure there is. Zombie world. All right. And you could take a clue from that about how if the players get infected, you know, how dramatic is it at some point where the player is down to his last couple of, you know, humanity dice or moments and he's, you know, kill me, kill me before, before I, I lose my humanity or, or the, the players have to make this, this, you know, and, and hopefully the players can role play out the fact that they've lost their, their minds and the other players have to make the decision about whether to incapacitate them or kill them or, you know, all of that. That's, that can make for some really dramatic stuff. Uh, which is why I think it's important, as she said, not to just gaslight it and say, "Oh yeah, yeah you guys are going to be, you guys are going to be infected," but then not have it have any consequences. Yeah. Um, again, as a one shot or even as a two shot, this could be really tense, you know. And but do give them the chance to cure it, maybe you know, towards the end at some point, yeah. because otherwise it's just going to be dreary and there's going to be no, "Yay, we win." All right. <laughs> Depending on the flavor of the game, maybe that's okay. Maybe it'll end, it'll end <laughs> yeah. like the thing, you know, which is one of my favorite movies. And at the end oh, of the movie, wow. you're like, "I died." I don't know what happened. Did they? Did they? We don't yeah. know. Well, you just reminded me of, I didn't really think about the fact that there are some really good, obviously, zombie movies where, or even stuff like Walking Dead, like graphic novels, television shows, mm-hmm. that that demonstrate the same type of effect where it's like you all of a sudden start seeing things that don't necessarily make sense to you and you have to start putting those things together. Was that a really old movie with... Uh, William Hurt, is it coma? Yes, he was. I think he was in coma. Yeah. Or yeah, that I just remember seeing that as a kid on TV, and that's I, I just have impressions of that being that kind of where you're walking that tightrope of like, is this really happening? Is this really what I'm seeing? And it is really what's happening, but it just doesn't seem plausible because it hasn't happened before. Right. You know? Right. And there's conspiracies and there's a lot of ways to play it you know and, it, and some of it will depend on what you, how your players are feeling you know if they all make sort of mischief gods and they're all I mean you could be it could be really fun to turn the screws on them and, and suddenly switch it like Stu had with his <coughs> amusement park and the children eating eyeballs so <laughs> it got real really fast you know um no no but if you're good go ahead well I was just gonna say if your players are, are you know maybe really stuck on on not role-playing, because I think this is a great opportunity for role-playing, it, it could get a little dreary. I think you need to be careful about it just being uh, a dice slog and, and tur- it turning into mechanics and, you know, all right, you failed and you feel worse and mark, mark, off, mark off a point. I think it really needs to be an immersive role-playing moment for this to work, to, to make the, the threat of this uh, disease seem real as opposed to just numbers on a page. 
Yeah, I would put a lot more weight in the narrative and less in the mechanics until you know, it gets worse. And I then, should have said that. Yeah, yeah, I should have led with that. Well, well said. You said it in in one sentence, but it took me a paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, now getting to like the real world question, and this this I think is is interesting because the vampire game I'm running starts in like the first or second weekend of January 2020. So I have made the decision as the, the GM in that game that this disease does not exist. I'm never going to take this pandemic because, or I mean, right now they're near the end of January, <clears throat> which is, I think, when a, a lot of the news stories started really kind of ramping up about it. And I'm, it doesn't, as, as far as the, as far as my game it goes, it it's not going to even exist. Because I don't want to, I don't play that game i've already got i've already got horrible plans for the players i don't need that and also it's like well I'm, I'm, we're, we're dealing with it and i don't know I, I don't know what do you guys think about dealing with like a, a real life crisis i mean obviously we, if we talk about what um white wolf and uh i can't remember which book it was the camarilla fifth edition book where they had the problem where they had the uh, was it the camarilla book yeah, or was it, was it the anarch book okay it was camarilla book yeah we were talking about chechnya and um, the the that's you know one one of the impetuses for us doing the the Rainbow Railroad uh, fundraisers, um, and and they got a lot of backlash for that, and I think rightly so. But what do you guys think about including something? Because this is a real life tragedy. A lot of people dying from this every freaking day. And what do you think about using this in a game? Do you think you should do it at all, or do you think there is a way to do it that is, um, or or can it? kind of end up being kind of escapism and is it okay i don't don't know i don't know i think i think there is something to be said for dealing with trauma in games like real life trauma in games but you have to do a temperature read on your players um to make sure they're okay with that because there is maybe something that is empowering about being able to deal with something that's a real life um traumatic sort of stressful situation uh in a fictional you know, game where you're helping create a narrative. So, but I think I would check first. I don't know. It depends on your headspace. I mean, uh, my wife's an author. She has a book contracted that is due this year. It's the third book in her trilogy. And in this book, the world ends. And she's having a really hard time writing this book that she's legally obligated to finish because of the psychological trauma going on right now with the pandemic. And does she really want to write fiction about, you know, the world is an ending, but it's, it's, it's definitely transformed and it's disruptive. Um, And so I, you know, it's too raw. And I think that it depends on where you are. It might be too raw. And if it is raw, I don't know that it's a good idea to have this topic on. Uh, face first but i mean if you're in a place where you're comfortable and your group is comfortable you have to have that conversation there's really two types of games there's chucking dice games and then there's storytelling games and you know you can do both but if you're really wanting to address the the horror that somebody might be going through as long as you are adequately distanced from it and so is the rest of the group it's fine but tricky I think that's the key word you said right there is distance. And oftentimes time and distance are equal, but that depending on the tragedy, time may, you know, the time may vary. For example, 
when the first Spider-Man movie came out, they had the Twin Towers featured in there. And they had a whole thing set up. Well, 9-11 happened, and they went back and reshot at great expense and edited it out to get rid of that because it was just too soon. It was too soon to see that kind of thing. Um, likewise, I think with the with the fires in Australia, uh, it, it, it's terrible and it's tragic. And I'm not sure when it was going on it would, if it would have been appropriate to have a game based in Australia that's on fire. Now, maybe it'd be an interesting thing because maybe some enough time has sort of passed. It's it's and I don't know if it's ever a good idea to to game while it, a tragedy is in in going on at that moment. You know, would it be okay to do a 9/11 based game now? As opposed to when 9/11 was happening, you know, and and the difference really is just time and distance. You see, I don't know, like a 9/11 game, I would be comfortable running that sort of game because yeah, you're too close to it, and and my memories of that are burned into my head because I woke up very early that morning, turned mm-hmm. on the TV, the first tower is burning, and I watched on TV live as that second plane hit, and I lost my fucking shit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and then you know all of the stuff that transpired over the next day or two, where you know they basically shut down the entire entire uh, airline system, and in the middle of the night that night and the night after that, I could hear the sound of you know single fighter jets flying yeah. overhead, running a, a combat air patrol over my own fucking country. That's real, and, and to, so to, so to, for me, it's like. Mm, no, that's okay. I, I lived through that once. I don't need to live through that twice. Even if I get to be a superhero and go, you know, punch someone in the face, man, that's all right. There's a risk of trauma vacation where you want to go and experience what it might be like to be in a particular situation, and that can uh, be a form of appropriation. I think you need to be careful with it. If there's, there's people that are too close to it, don't do it. You know, the same could be said about the Nazi Holocaust. I mean, there's a definite warning for some people, and would would it be okay to gain it? I think, again, you're right. You need to take the temperature of your group. It depends on what you're planning on doing with with said tragedy as well. Uh, There's a lot of variables. There's really a lot of variables. It's you just need to be aware that it's a minefield, and you need to approach it as sensitively and as as intelligently as you can when you're dealing with a current. A situation like this, because yeah, you also don't know other people's personal tragedies. Um, I would be unco- I would be okay playing in a 9/11 game, but if someone at the table lost someone in 9/11 that was in the towers, that's that's a no starter. I'm like, no, we're not going to play. No, that, right. that, Why would I do that? Assuming so, everyone at the table knows that, and of course you have the conversation where, the, where someone has the opportunity to say, you know, I'd rather not do that, and here's why. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, now, someone, all of that stuff needs to be needs to be set up and needs to be approached that way. You can't just you can't just launch into it and go and be act surprised when somebody has reservations. Now, someone, Sorry, go ahead. James, James V said, um, "Would you play in a Pearl Harbor game today? Uh, what becomes the yardstick of time?" Now, there again, I remember having a conversation with my mother, who was probably in high school when Pearl Harbor happened. And she and she got super serious. My mother was a very lighthearted person, and she got super serious and said, "Oh no, we were really, really scared because this was the. I mean, it had been more than a century since the United States has actually had a war on its own, on its own land. You know what I mean? Well, I guess not." Civil War, eighty-nine years or whatever it was, whatever. But a long ass time, out of everyone's memory, right? 
and and she's like yeah we were terrified when that happened and so so like for my mother no me yeah i would you know what and i think my kids if they if 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 they were role players, which they're not, but if they were, and they they probably wouldn't think twice about playing a a, a nine eleven game. I don't think time is a good yardstick. I think distance is. I, I, if you are, because there are moments in American history I would never play out at a table. Just sure, period. absolutely, and, and world history even. Um, although it'd be easier for me to do uh, ancient world history, but it is uh, how how distant are you from it, and how distant is your group from it, and can it be done in a in a healthy way? And that's, you know, it's tricky. It's a minefield, like you said. You have, to, you have to know your people before you do something like that. Definitely. And in addition to that, that whole, you know, sometimes people think they can handle something they end up not being able to handle, too. And then that's when, you know, X cards or whatever safety tools you use are are valid. But I think you also need to look at what you're trying to accomplish with what you are looking at introducing. And do you even need to bother utilizing that sort of potential raw you know that trauma that yeah, depending on how you're going to utilize said tragedy I, yeah. I think i think the takeaway is don't assume that everybody's going to be okay with it you need to take the temperature of the group as christopher pointed out and and set up a, a question and answer period with it you know whether it's <clears throat> everybody emails in so they don't feel singled out or if you guys have a conversation about it but um it just you know it really needs to be you need to be sensitive to it. You know? I agree. That's- yeah. All right. Um, now, th- this does remind me of a, of a story. Uh, Bill ran a Champions game, and this would have been... When was the when was the that big San Francisco earthquake in the 1980s, I think? Where the, the 89? The, where the Bay Bridge collapsed. Oh. Was it the, that, that's the, the, the double-decker bridge... Yeah. And one section fell on the other and it crushed a car and oh, killed some people. Yeah, that right? was May of 91, I think. I'm not, I don't remember. It, it was around like the end of the 80s or beginning of the 90s. We, we played a superhero game that took place in San Francisco and it started just before that earthquake. And, and I don't remember, I think the earthquake happened while we were playing. Not not during the game, oh. but during the campaign, oh. that earthquake, because we're down, way down in L.A. anyway, we felt it anyway, but that earthquake happened, and we did include that the earthquake in that game. Bill's like, no, I'm going to go ahead and include the earthquake. And they actually had that moment where one of the player characters, one of the superheroes, sees the upper deck of the bridge start to fall and had an, a had a mechanical opportunity to avert that tragedy he wasn't able to make the die roll and it happened but so i mean and we did do that there again none of us knew the people in in that car yeah you know what i mean so and i've played many a world war ii game with with pearl harbor and never really had a problem with it so you know however i'm not I'm not a vet. I don't have PTS, and I and I don't have any relations that died in Pearl Harbor. If those three, if at least those three things hit me, then yeah, I might have different ideas about Pearl Harbor. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a real. There is no definitive answer. It's a gray area, and it's a real squishy line that can go back and forth. Yeah. So I agree. You just have to be really sensitive to it, and and just check and recheck with your group. Okay. Uh, thank you. What was this? I forgot who this was. Andrew. Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for the email. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and, and, and sorry it took, you know, three and a half months for, to read it. Uh, <laughs> if we had read it back then, we would have had an entirely different conversation than we're having <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> I ran a Happiest Apocalypse game. It took place in Disneyland when it closed, you know, because it was, you know, well, opportunistic. Oh, Disneyland's closed. That sounds like it would be horrifying there right now. See that the first Savage Worlds, the second Savage Worlds game I ran, Disneyland got shut down because there had been mass murders inside of the Haunted Mansion because it was a kind of a... Uh, it was a horror. I don't remember what the big horror thing was in that game. Oh, it was a it was it was a Cthulhu game. So. Uh, oh yeah. I'm always looking for interesting set pieces, though. You know, places to have a battle, and that's you know, again, in some movies, sometimes it's that that's the cool thing. You're like, wow, that big. Right place that they in that time that was awesome. The Highlander sword fight on top of the building with the neon sign. Right. And I think that was our first actual play. Oh, the Ghostbusters one? Yeah. I think that was the first game we recorded. But but that wasn't Savage Worlds, it was GURPS. It was Savage Worlds. Because I thought the first Savage Worlds game was the bear hunting game. That was the first Savage Worlds game, that was not the first first recorded Savage Worlds game. Someone okay. will correct somebody yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. in comments. Uh, virtual Gaming from Weasel Creature. Who would like to read this? I suppose oh, I can. You got it? Yeah, do you know how to say the first word? Because it's so take it. Slante, I think. I don't know. Slancha. Slancha? I think you're right. I think it is Slancha. I don't know. I'm not. There uh, are different pronunciations for it, but I always say Slancha. Probably depends which flavor of Gaelic it is. Exactly. Go ahead, Gina. All yours. Are you sure? Yeah, you know how to say the word. Slancha to Stu and the Brew Crew. Uh, weasel creature, he, him, here. Uh, it's been a while since I've emailed, so let me apologize ahead of time for this one. I trust all are well during this homebound time. I am still playing catch-up, just finished Murmurs and Exodus, and I'm two months behind on the advice show now. So perhaps this has been covered, but it's my current reality, so here's my email. We've been playing our game via Roll20. To date, we've done D&D 5e, Curse of Strahd, for which we started using Roll20 uh, at the in-person table for maps and character sheets. Call of Cthulhu, Numenera, and Tales from the Loop. That's a lot. Next week, as of this email, I'll be running a Grimmer Space adventure, a suspense horror setting using Starfinder that my wife backed for me on Kickstarter. Raise a glass to awesome spouses and significant others. So far, good job, Lily. So far, our experience has been really positive. The learning curve for the basics is small. Although getting players to go beyond just the basics can be like pulling teeth with plastic tweezers. The map functions with uh, dynamic lighting are pretty sweet. For my Grimmer Space game, I'm looking forward to using PC source lighting like flashlights with limited cone FOV. Uh, I don't know what FOV is. Field limited of view? Yeah, the field of view. Yeah, because you can Got do it. you can do like the the field. What's it called? The war fog, fog of war. Yeah. Oh, okay. With limited cone FOV to help build some suspense and tension, I plan on utilizing roll twenty at the table and online in the future. How about the rest of you? How's your virtual gaming going? Anyone planning and using the tools at the table once uh, we gather in person? Anyway, drink up and take care. I got lots of things on this. <laughs> let, let me, let me tell my, right my one brief story about using an online thing first. Sure. We're, yeah. uh, we're using Zoom to do all of the APs. 
because as far as video conferencing goes, it works fantastic. It's not free, but it, I mean, it, but it, it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I tried early on to use something. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was what? Which one was had a a thing that attached to Google Hangouts? Was Meets. That, hmm. Google Meet. Uh, it was. It, it, it was Hangouts or Hangouts on Air. I don't remember which one okay. one it was. It was it was their video conferencing thing that eventually kind of went away. I think it might have been Roll Twenty. I don't remember, but I used. Oh, huh? I know what you mean. It was a, well, I know Tavern Keeper did it, but that was a play by post. No, this was a. This was um, you could in, you you could. I don't even remember how it worked now, but I had this grand idea, where I did. I ran a GURPS game. Uh, it was for listeners, and I had made the city where the adventure is going to take place, <clears throat> and I made the map in campaign cartographer. And I made the largest map I could possibly make in that software and, and not, not have my computer bleed to death. And so literally, you had an entire city in this map and you could zoom in on it. And when you zoomed in close enough, you had a hex grid f- for a combat level. Like if you, oh, we're going to have a fight in this alley. So zoom in in that area and here's, here's a hex grid if you zoom in enough. So you could actually go to anywhere in that city and do whatever you wanted to do. I thought it was the wow. most brilliant idea ever. Unfortunately, the file was 10 gigabytes. And when I put it into whatever service that was, and I do not remember the name of it, it killed it. It's like, can't scroll or move and we're going to crash. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this shit is not ready. <laughs> Somewhere in uh, Ireland, the server farm melted down. Right. <laughs> it was an enormous map. It took a long time to upload, and that should have been my first clue. But um, I, I've always, for me personally, that stuff, now it's been years since I've used it, but that stuff, for me, has been more trouble than it's worth. And and it's just easier to simply describe stuff and just do mind's eye stuff. But that's me. I've been using yeah. Roll20. I just looked at the stats since November 5th, 2015. 849 hours played. Well, I don't know if that's a lot, but it sounds like <laughs> it. Um, I, I love Roll20. I use it a lot. Um, but it's really great for only specific types of games. It great on D&D. It's great on um, anything that is Savage Worlds, anything that were, that tends to be map-heavy. Um, but I, I, other than that, I don't like it because I don't see the faces, and I need the faces. And so I prefer a, a zoom where I can see everybody big, and I can chuck dice on the table, and everything's fine. So some games work great, some games, games don't. Um, I, since COVID, I've been running a lot of online games, and one of the things that I've been doing, which has been especially helpful with, I've been running a lot of games for kids, and because they need to get away from their families and <laughs> do something right. fun for a change. So, um, but the technology is all very different. I really struggle getting, okay, well, you have to have, everybody has to have a Roll20 account and everybody has to have, and you're dealing with 12 year olds and their parents who don't know what this is. And um, so, what I ended up doing was just, okay, uh, you, dad, mirror your iPad onto the computer and I'm going to use Zoom. You have your Zoom app, and then I will actually share my screen and do the Roll20 map as a shared screen. Oh. So then I get the faces, and they get the map, and I just move the tokens around for them. 
and I have a screen that shows the Dungeon Master stuff that they can't see, and then my main screen is what they see. And so I'm able to uh, just project, and that, that system works great for me uh, if you're running for people who don't know tech. Because Roll20 requires a commitment. You have to make an account. Right. You have to sign in. You have to make characters. You have to do all this stuff. And if you're dealing with 12-year-olds, that doesn't work. So that was one trick that I found during COVID that works great. Mm-hmm. But if I have my druthers, I just want zoom and dice because, like Stu said, I mean, it, it gets in the way of the game. And I need to see the faces, and um, I way more prefer running that way if I can. I think you can play most of what you need to on Zoom. I would love to have uh, a dice app that attached to Zoom really well so that everybody could just roll the dice and everybody could see how the dice play out. But, I mean, I don't see any problem with playing via Zoom this way. You know, for the most part, everything that you do as a, as a player is condensed anyway. You're looking at your character sheet. You're not sharing it with anybody, so it doesn't. you don't really need to see any of that stuff. Yes, when it comes to maps, that, that could be a thing. But, I mean, Stu is gone out of his way to prove that you really don't need a map. You can just do a marching order. Um, I get caught up in maps. I love maps. I get I get really on the minutia of them. And, and my style of, of GMing is usually just I like to make sure that there's just some terrain because I, I want to allow people to to use it if, in combat if they if they want to. And oftentimes again I like to make interesting set pieces. So if I if they're in a warehouse and they say are oh, there boxes around, I want them to know where the boxes are and how tall they are and all of that. But that being said, Stu runs ninety percent of ninety nine percent of his game without ever pulling out a map, and they're fine. They're some of the best games that I've ever played, and I don't miss the map at all. I was just gonna say, I mean, how many years has Happy Jacks been streaming? Was it twenty fourteen, Stu? Yeah, um, it's probably been six years, five or six years. Yeah, and like I've been watching or participating in a lot of games, and we rarely use maps. So I feel like a lot of it depends on the system you're going to play. And some of it is a lot more system critical. Like you really want to, you want to be able to see a hex map or, or a grid map um, and to be able to describe the surroundings and not just theater, theater of the mind. But there are a lot of games that we play that don't necessarily require that level of involvement. And so then I think you can streamline the tech and not have to worry about, you know, and especially like if you're not worried about like, you know, seeing people's dice rolls and stuff like that, there's so much you can do that doesn't have to involve that tech, but it is nice to know that that's out there. Right. One thing I found with uh, my particular game, (laughs) Great American Novel and Great American Witch, that game in its system requires cards. And it's it's a lot like fate or many, many story you got telling games use cards as sort of like, you know, a way to like deck like a well decima, yeah, but I was thinking a dialect uh, and microscope are, are entirely dependent upon cards. And Roll Twenty is shit at that. I mean it's like the most frustrating piece of software for just laying down some stupid card. So I've actually been using um, Jamboard, which is a G Suite app. And it's great. You just plop it down. Everybody sees it in real time on their jam, shared Jamboard. You can make it a public link, and, and and you can have as many cards as you want. And so that's you know one little trick I've learned on on card games because I have not found a good solution to do that. Is that a traditional um, just fifty two card? traditional deck no just like it, what jamboard does is like it just pulls up a sticky note that everybody can see at the same time and you can yeah. type in the sticky note and everybody can mess on the same board it's sort of like a mood board app 
But you can still, there's still visuals of the players? Yeah, uh, no, no, you have to, see, oh. it's the thing, you have to add, you have to have that up as well. <laughs> right. so, yeah. so everybody has their Jamboard up and they have their Zoom up, but you, you know, that they can see it's a workspace. So everybody that affects things, you can upload photos and you can change the text and you can do all that stuff on Jamboard. And, and it just happens in real time, like you're in a Google Doc. It's the same technology. Um, but if somebody knows a way to use index cards, at, you know, uh, virtually, I'd like to hear it. I know. I know. Zoom is being is really. We were talking about it before show there, Christopher, about uh, how Zoom is becoming really popular now because a lot of businesses are having their meetings via Zoom. It's right. Like, you know, it's become a it's become a verb now. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that through this popularity, they're going and mostly because of business meetings, they're they're going to give us some tools that you can have a better business meeting because I'm sure there are people in business meetings that would love to show graphs and diagrams as well, but don't have the ability. Yet. Yeah. There there is a, a screen. Is yeah, there? you can share. You can share your screen, and that's yeah. the screen. And you can also do a. They have a whiteboard that you can share that everybody okay. can interact with. But the, but no index cards. So that's, <laughs> that's why I use Jamboard. So no. Jamboard is it. Uh, GM Radio Rob made a mention. This is probably why I don't make maps anymore. And I and I, I just realized this, but when I read this, he said, "I'd love to see the map Stu came up with, assuming he did." For the Southern Mansion for the Vampire game, it was actually a time travel game, when the players got their target out of out of it instead. Do you remember that, Stork? Were you playing that game? Yeah. yeah. I made this map, and I made it like a full combat map to scale. What were we playing? We were playing GURPS. That was a GURPS game. We were game. playing GURPS, and it was a windy draw. Infinite, in, it was GURPS Infinite Worlds, and I right. made a map. sort of our time traveling um, um, crime fighters. Kind right, of thing. that was two scale, like one inch equals two meters or whatever. Of this guy's mansion and all of the surrounding area around it and the walls and I had the heights of the walls the whole thing so the party could go in because he had invited the party to his soiree and the party was going to be able to go into this place to take him out and I'm like I'm going to make this cool map of the entire mansion so I got a big giant blank sheet of paper and a pen and I sat and drew the thing out with rulers and I had the whole thing finished and then like oh and, that, and they get an invitation to the place and says oh we're in, there's no way we're going there <laughs> and I'm like, and, and Fuck. Stu, to, Stu to his credit goes, yeah. Why would they go in there? You know, instead of a lesser GM would have said, uh, uh-uh, you guys are going there. I just spent a week making this map. Uh, uh-uh, you guys are going there. I'm, I'm going to block and block and block till you go. But Stu went, God, they're right. Why? Why Shit. would they go there? That is obviously a trap. <laughs> that's why I made the big map. Of course, it's a fucking trap. <laughs> so that's probably why I don't bother making maps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> maps are really about the lonely fun of creating a map. It is. It is. And then it's done. <laughs> I make maps that are generic enough that I can drop them down all the time. And I talk about it all the time. It's like, if they decide that they're going to go sneak into the sewer, well, the wizard's tower now becomes a room in the sewer. Right. It's like, it's just it's just a room with terrain and stuff in it that they can interact with. It, I'm, no, I'm not married to... I, I, and sometimes I'll say... You know, ignore the altar that's not there. Uh, this this map used to be a church, but now it's a laboratory. Shit too. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you just have a bunch of maps like that you can drop out at any moment for whatever situation you're in. If it's a big gothic room, a church can easily become a dungeon, can easily become a throne room. You know, it's it's just a big square, you know, cool looking map. So what, what is that? Is that a brazier? No, that's just a rug that has the look of a brazier on it, and it's you know really ornate. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Erica Odd said she has a minor horror story about maps. When I was a wee GM ages ago in the early 80s when dinosaurs ruled the earth and I ran a game for my brother, I drew out, I drew out a little nice 
detailed wilderness map on a piece of notebook paper. Then I put a dot at one end of it and, and told my brother um, that he starts there. He then said, okay, I go this way. And he drew a line right off the map. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of when we, way back in the day when we were playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons, a friend of mine decided to make a nice labyrinth. You know, I thought, because labyrinths, mazes are fun, right? You know, on paper. Right. Kind of fun to draw. <laughs> and we managed to beat it really quickly. For some reason, the way he was phrasing, you you come to an intersection, left or right. And I was able to infer the way he said it, what direction to go. And he we used poker. He used and poker. Yeah, and I, and we went, I went through in like three minutes, and he was pissed. <laughs> but in hindsight, do you want to spend the entire game going left or right and wandering around and getting lost in a maze? That's not really fun. Wow. Or anybody. <laughs> um, uh, James V says that to tell Chris that Trello, T R E L L O, might be the way to give him index cards that everyone can share. Yeah, I love Trello. It never occurred to me to use it for that. Thank you. <laughs> What's Jamboard's pretty good too. What is Trello? Oh, you don't know Trello? Oh, you no. love us, dude. It's great. It's like a, I'm it's looking it up a, right now. a project. Well, it's a note keeping app, but everything's done horizontally. It's called a, there's a term for it. Starts with an X or a Z or something, uh, but you just lay out all of your cards on these columns. Uh-huh. I use it all the time just for all kinds of things. I use it for managing tasks or just I keep no- my uh, campaign notes in Trello, so I'll have an entire board oh. just for a campaign. I'm it's not as heavy lifting as Microsoft Note, but it's good. I'm signing up for it right now. <laughs> I always I love stuff. There used to be something I think it was called Corkboard or something, where it looked like a like a like a cork board, like a you put pins in. What else they call them? Bullet boards, and you you could put notes on it and move them around and reorder them. That was real early. And then you could also you got a code, you could share it with other people, so multiple people could look at it at once. But I think only one person could edit it. And that I, I miss mean, all the office. That's got to be ten years ago though. No, this is an app. This was a web page. No, I- I know, but I miss all the office supplies. I miss actually making a bulletin board. I miss making, I miss all of the, the physical stuff, you know? It's, it's even coined that. It's like better better gaming through office supplies. I think you used to love to go to Staples and buy stuff for your games. Oh, that's a Kimmy. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe yeah, that was Kimmy. <clears throat> I forgot Weasel Pictures PSA at the end. Do you want something want to read that? For the love of Cthulhu, for the sake of healthcare and other essential workers, stay the fuck at home. Yeah. Weasel creature. Yeah, no one's doing that now. I, I, I drove home two days ago because I'm considered essential, so I'm going driving yeah. back and forth to work on a freeway that has, for the most part, been eerily empty. In L.A., that means there's probably 800,000 cars within view, but that's way less than 80 million, right? So two or three nights ago, I'm driving home. And it was exactly typical traffic I got in January. And I'm like, there's got to be an accident. There can't be this many people driving around right now because like like 60 or 70% of the people are sitting at home. I'm like, and I, re- and I, and I never passed an accident. I realized, no, they're all yeah. just, they're bored and I don't blame them. And they're just driving around. Maybe they're going to yeah. drive to a mall and sit in the parking lot. I don't know. <laughs> but there were so many cars on the freeway this week. I'm nearby awesome. Santa Monica Airport, and um, all of the trick flyers are out every day on their prop planes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and there's and they're uh, small planes and day and night because they're bored. And to LA's credit, they don't they don't always do a lot of their their um, public work stuff very well because it's an old city and things fall down. Anyway, 
they're doing a lot of road work right now, which is very forward thinking of them and really a really good idea because you know shutting down a major freeway in LA when it's going is oh, yeah. it's pretty much apocalypse. We call it you know was it car apocalypse or yeah. Yeah, because you shut down a section of the 405 or the 5 freeway, and and it stops. And commerce, everything, and it becomes, I mean, yeah. So anyway, they're doing a lot of road work now, so maybe when we all get back on the road, everything will be better and faster. You're such an optimist. <laughs> that, that, no, they're, they're not. I'm, I drive by those sites on the 5 every day, and it's like, this would be a good time to be doing no 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 because I think they're they're because they, they have to do a little bit and then they got to wait for someone to come out and inspect and they come out and they do a little bit more and then they wait for someone yeah. to come out and inspect and, and they must be in that inspection phase because I'm not well, seeing a lot of work on the freeway and that five rebuild is a big deal because a lot of that stuff is basically out of code and they're having to completely rebuild everything as they go oh so, hell yeah they are they're rebuilding falling on houses yeah they're yeah. rebuilding bridges big yes. bridges. It's a big deal. And yeah, they're spending billions and billions of dollars on that freeway, and by the time they finish it, it the freeway will still will then be too small for the new amount of cars you're going to have 20 years from now. For all it's the, done. The robot trucks like out of, out right. of Wolverine that, that'll be zipping by. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Weasel Creature, for the email. Agendas and secrets from Uncommon Man. Okay, I'll take it. All right. I recently bought the Alien RPG. So did I. It is a really, really good game. And in the uh, GM, which is Game Mother in that game. <laughs> is it really? GM section, oh, that's, yeah. that's hysterical. Like, mother, <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. In the GM section, this is one of the many uh, pieces of good advice. Agendas, secrets, and PVP. Every PC's personal agenda is secret and only known to the player in the GM. When I played this, for example, I basically played Burke from Aliens, and my secret agenda was to get the alien or specimen or something off of the ship at all costs, any cost. So you have, everybody has a different agenda. Sometimes a player... Bad call, Ripley. It was a bad call. (laughs) (laughs) It's just smart. He's the best character in cinema. Sometimes a player may want to secretly communicate something to you. We recommend that you let them, but keep it simple. Stay in the room and ask them to write something on a note. Some groups are comfortable with talking about secrets openly, separating their knowledge from that of their PCs. Find a way that makes sense for your group. Don't overcomplicate things. And remember, if a PC starts to act in direct opposition to the rest of the group, it's time to call PvP. Play the current scene to an end, and then turn the PC into an NPC. Hmm. So does it's that- one of those, why didn't I think of that before, ideas. Make sure players are going towards the same goal. Party cohesion makes a nice way, uh, party cohesion, and gives a nice way to retire a PC. Please discuss and or drink. Now, so do you have standby characters that the player would then adopt? Well, I I don't know. There's two ways to play this game. There's the cinematic way, which is everybody's going to fucking die. Mm -hmm. So you just die, and you watch everybody else die and laugh. I died really early in the game I played. I just cackled the entire time because I was watching everybody else die. Um, But, you know, I guess if you're a different kind of player, you might be bored with that. The other type of gameplay is campaign, where it isn't really so lethal, and now you're just sort of like uh, more in an investigative kind of setting. So it depends on how you play it. But I think the one shot is meant to be you're dead and out. Got it. Okay. Character creation is not uh, complicated, in my opinion, for that game or any of the really... It's just a little okay, tricky. I'll play the Marine now. You know, it's a little yeah. tricky to bring a character in in the middle of your isolated spaceship. Or well, I guess if you're playing, <clears throat> it could be another crewman that's just been an NPC sitting in the background. I suppose, right? Or sure, you could unthaw them, or you could rescue them from you know 
a cocoon or something. I, I guess there's ways to do it. it I heard great things about the system. In fact, recently, I think David brought it up on uh, in some conversations about somebody looking for a good science fiction um, a yeah. game that isn't Traveler. Yeah, it's so great. It'd be interesting to just look at the system and see if it's, it could be used without playing an Alien game. As much as I love Alien, I mean, it's, it's a really good movie. I wonder if you could do it without that fatalist. Oh, you, you know, totally can. Like, you totally yeah. can. The, the big thing that defines it, and you know, you sounds like you've known it too. Um, so pipe in if I get it wrong, but you have um, uh, basically a, I forget what it's called, but like a, I would call a dread die where things go bad, stress, stress die, and yeah. uh, it's sort of like Vampire Fifth. So you you uh, you add that to your die pool, and uh, when it goes one, things go bonkers. But you also get the extra potential for success. Cthulhu is a similar thing, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I don't think you add to the sanity. Sanity works a little different in seventh, but it's been a while. I forgot. We're on hiatus. Oh, you roll against the sanity. That's All those right. rules that fell out of my head were on hiatus. Yeah. That game. Uh, bringing uh, bring it back to the to that that blurb though, and the thing. I mean, it's it's an interesting solution, I guess, to keep your players from completely killing each other. But I know some people that love that. They love to inter party conflict into fighting amongst themselves. And it almost feels like, I, I guess if you're that kind of player, maybe this isn't the game for you because it actually has rules built in to make sure your party doesn't necessarily do that to the, you know, for the full game. Well, it sounds it, like you do a scene and then you retire your character. But it, it, I mean, it, 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 it assumes you're going to have inter-party conflict in a high-stress right. situation, which makes total sense, right? That's true. But it's, That's it, true. it's designed it in such a way that it doesn't cripple the game. Mm-hmm. So and that that's kind of brilliant. Uh, GM Rob said that he's uh, uh, he's uh, where where was it? I'm playing Hope's Last Day. That must be a scenario from the from that game, I guess. I don't know. Um, with five PCs but four players, we have one spare PC and some NPCs who will come up later. There must be some um, sort of subjective uh, decision by the facilitator about when you're acting in opposition because giving everybody and even in the one shot we had we all had competing um or like secondary sort of um objectives yeah yeah and so there were definitely times that i could tell somebody was doing a thing or i was doing a thing but you must have to decide that if it really flavors a scene that you're going to retire that character because, you know, obviously as you get going, you're going to be occasionally really working towards your secondary sort of a objective, your hidden objective. Like the Burt character absolutely had to die in the movie because he, yeah. he's, he's set up as pretty much the villain, you know, he's... Burt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but, but also, I mean, with an alien movie, somebody can be infected and they either have to get killed or they're, they're going to, they want to survive so they might turn on the crew too. It's like, I want to live, motherfuckers. You know, you can't kill me. You can't stop me, um, or I, I, whatever. You know, it's I, a, it's a. The game is like you said; it's high stress, and so things happen. But so you do. I guess having a mechanic built in that's going to address the fact that part the player is going to eventually fight player, um, so it can streamline that situation. Otherwise, you hit that, and you're like, well, now what do we do? You know, I guess we're going to end the game because mm-hmm. nobody, everybody hates each other now. Yeah, I, th- I think. Um, did I just forget what I was going to say? I think I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but, but you've forgotten that you forgot. <laughs> oh no, it was really profound. I, I, it seems to me that like that everyone's got an, their own agenda, and those agendas very well may run contrary to the goals of the other people in the game. 
So there, it seems like they may be working secretly against each other, but it's when I, I would think that it's when it, it's going to come to head when it's going to come to a conflict, when someone when someone's yeah. when someone's secret agenda has suddenly become divulged. At that point, then that's when that party cohesion isn't going to exist anymore. It's when yeah, they like, decide to duct tape Burke, you know. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like when Burke decides he wants to, you know, have the aliens kill Ripley and the ba- uh, the kid so that he can get a live specimen smuggled back to Earth, that point his agenda is, come, is, is now announced to the rest of the party. They have to figure out what to do, right? Right. right. At the, at that, that makes total sense. Yeah, at that point, after that scene, that character becomes an NPC, and it's like, okay, right. we've duct taped and put him in the corner, and now we're going right. on with the rest of what we're doing. Well, because what you just said, Stu, that makes total sense to me, is that the the hidden objective becomes the scene. Like, it becomes, it's not like I just passed you a note, or I'm doing a thing, and I passed you a note. It becomes the scene, the yeah. objective of the scene. So, yeah. There's no sense. hiding it anymore. It's, yeah. It is now out in the open, and everybody has to react to it. I haven't seen any game really deal with this very well, so I'm glad that Free League gave it, gave it a shot. You know, yeah, absolutely. All right, I, th- I think that was Uncommon Man. I think, yeah, yeah, Unco- yeah. Thank you, Uncommon Man, for the email. And that's it. And we're and we've done it. I'm going to go ahead. Any other any last thoughts or anything before we uh, close it out? Going no, once? I just I'm going to foresee lots and lots of people uh, are going to be gaming more and more on Zoom, and I wonder once all of this is over if uh, we're all going to be so comfortable playing online that we're ever really going to go back to. Nope. Because how convenient is it? Like you know, not say, me. I, I know Gina lives. <laughs> those of you that don't know the LA County, Gina lives about an hour and a half, maybe two hours away from Stu. Right. Getting to Stu's house can be a real chore every week. So sometimes it might just be easier to go. Yeah, you know, it's really working. So I foresee in the future that people might just be uh, hanging out on their computers anyway. The forty-five minutes. Mix. The forty-five I need, I need minutes. People. The, the forty-five minutes I spent fucking with Zoom and the <laughs> streaming computer today ensures that I will be playing face-to-face games. Again. <laughs> There's something about everybody being at the table together that just is, you know. It's no, this is a, definitely a, a good placebo effect, but it, it's it's different. And we've we've always joked about that, you know. But back in the way back in the in the dusty old days, people would, would sneer at uh, people playing Dungeons and Dragons, saying, "Oh God, you guys are so antisocial. You just lock yourselves <laughs> and talk to anybody." And it's like, no, it's the most social of games ever. It's like we all get together and we sit for five or six hours talking to each other. You guys are watching television, or you know, you're out, you know, screaming at the TV, watching or whatever. Or but you're not. That's not social interaction. Playing a game together in a room—that's about as social as it gets. So. I, I, I say that role-playing games are one of the most social things people can actually do, despite what people think or say. Other than key parties. There you go. Whoa. Whoa. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty social. Oh, pretty social. Okay, Boomer. <laughs> I just had to come up with something that was... I know. <laughs> our key parties. Yeah. There's a great that '70s show where, where forgive me for going off on this. At one point, they go to this party and they, and they get the car keys, and so at the end, you know, by the door, Red Red has to like you know, get his car keys, and they're like, "No, no, we're gonna." And he ends up hitting the guy. It's just, it's just he had no idea what a car key party was, and it was hysterical. I just know from uh, mostly from the Ice Storm, that Ang Lee movie. Mm. It's like a, it. it's like a scene scene in there. Yeah. Anyway, art film. Yeah, 
for all you for all your non boomers out there, go just look up car key parties and, and giggle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and play this out. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for season 26, episode 17 of Happy Shit RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Chris. I'm Gina. And we'll see you next week at 7 p.m. Pacific time, maybe, uh, at happyjacks.org slash live. And until then, stay safe. And that's it. Thank you very much. To Australia and maybe East Timor. Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.